0: Crypto Watch is presented by the Constantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today, it's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. For this week's Crypto Watch, I'm joined by Daniel Barr, who is one of the co founders of Tenzorum which calls itself the unstoppable machine for self-sovereign key management and access to the decentralized world. And if you want to know what that means, listen to the interview. Daniel, perhaps we better start with uh, what is a key in relation to blockchain? Explain what that is, because you're all about keys.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, keys... um what it actually is is uh, a string of um, a string of characters um, but what it uh, represents is the ability to um, access to different entitlements. So if in um, if in classic um, classic internet we were using, Passwords and usernames. Um, with blockchain technologies, we basically um, are relying on our own abilities to execute the access. Whereas with the password and username scenario, we were relying basically on a service provider to manage our access. If that makes sense.
0: It does make a lot of sense. Do you need to remember the key?
1: Um, so we. If you remember it, obviously uh, it helps, but there are various ways of abstracting that string of uh, characters.
0: And uh, as I understand it, there's a public key and a private key, can you explain the
1: difference? Yeah, so a public key and a private key, um, the basic concept of it uh, is basically it's it's a key pair, right, public and private. Key pair where you would have um, a private key from which the public key would be derived so it's uh, it's typically generated through a hash function that is a function that is very easy to execute to one direction but very difficult to execute to the other so if you have the private key it's very easy to um, put it as an input in this hash function and get the output as the private key as the public key sorry um, and the purpose of using those key pairs is in a similar way to how username and password works that you wouldn't mind having your public address say alan at the constant uh, you wouldn't mind having it shared publicly but then to actually access uh, messages that are sent intentionally to your public address, you'd need your private key. Which, in the case of a password, it's it's a password, um, which would basically decrypt that uh, message that was sent to the public address.
0: Oh well, that's a that's that, a that, that's a disability. useful that's a useful analogy. But is it is it exactly or actually the way it works with the blockchain?
1: Yeah, so it's slightly different in the sense that, um, as I said, basically the keys in a proper public decentralized network, the keys are handled and managed by the people and not by service provider. And what it means is that the, the actual assets that are not stored with you, they're not stored anywhere, they're basically kind of a Part of the network itself, right? They're a part of the data store. That is the blockchain um, So to actually be able to sign transaction to approve transaction or sign messages You'd need to have you access to your public uh, Sorry access to your private key to initiate those transaction basically to demonstrate to come in front of that network to uh, say here I person this or that Um with this public key is capable to show that i own the private key and therefore sign certain transactions
0: so um so the key is needed to actually operate the blockchain so if if i'm if i'm owning bitcoin or if i'm engaging in some sort of transactions on the blockchain um, i need to have the private key to to actually um, record those transactions on the blockchain. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's that's also a really good question because um, I would say that majority of people that are currently owning a Bitcoin, say, they uh, rely on the convenience of storing that Bitcoin in an exchange. And while this is comfortable and this is like a familiar user experience, that also means that If this exchange gets hacked, you're basically relying on their security. Um, At the same time, essentially, the keys that are associated to the assets, in this case, Bitcoin, are not really owned by you. So whenever you want to initiate a transaction, essentially what's happening there is that you're logging into this exchange service similar way to, to logging into your bank or your Facebook, and you're asking them to act on your behalf and send uh, or or receive to their address um, a bitcoin. Right. So,
0: so what you say on the Tenzorum website is that the mechanism by which users manage and, manage and interact with their keys is broken. Explain yeah. why 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 you
1: think it's broken. Yeah. So so several several reasons. One of them is as I gave that example of the exchange. Yes. Uh, which is basically. Supposed to onboard users to the decentralized economy, but then like most users remain in this environment of only the Trusted party the centralized exchange or in in other cases you have um, Kind of it's an industry of extremes You would have people that understand. All right. I need to I need to manage my key great and then if I'm unaware of the risks I would just copy it on a word document or something like that. But then essentially I'm exposed to risk if someone gets a hold of this word document. So this is for the less aware, less tech savvy. The other extreme is I can basically write down on a piece of paper or, or put the key on a air gapped thumb drive or something like that and put Split it to three pieces send it to a bunker in Switzerland, Siberia, whatever and essentially it becomes really really not um, Not practical to actually interact with uh, with decentralized products because There is no there's no means to actually handle keys from the user's perspective in a sufficiently convenient way yet Secure enough so that we can actually um, execute all those different tasks associated to uh, being self-sovereign owners of our assets. So, so what you say on the website
0: is the Tensorum is going to change all that. So, tell us how Tensorum works. How does
1: it change it? Cool. So, with Tensorum, we're aiming to we're aiming to basically make those technologies accessible to the broader um like to, to the mainstream audience, right? Um what we believe is that um the user experience on the decentralized web should be designed slightly different. And when you're thinking about user experience, everything is about keys because everything that we are interfacing to is keys. So what we're doing with Tanzorum, we're developing in two two kinds of verticals. On the one one side um the TensorM products are essentially the ways that uh, you can actually interface with your keys and then fill them in in a mobile app and web browser extension and that is something very similar to those who are familiar with wechat for example where you can um use qr scans to log into a service um Use your mobile phone to approve certain things from your desktop, and by that uh, have slightly enhanced security. Um, this is this is in terms of how do we abstract the aspect of handling keys from the user's perspective, and what we're developing is for um, for several blockchains. So we believe that just like in the web, you did not have to think. Uh, all right, this is uh, running on AWS, on Amazon, or it's running on um, Google Cloud, or it's running on DigitalOcean. Like the users do not need to be concerned with that. So we are also developing um, access modes to different networks. So whether it's Ethereum, Bitcoin, uh, Nebulas, the idea is that um, you'll be able to access all those different um, networks from TensorM products. This is on the um, on the front end interfaces side. Um, then we're also working on infrastructure to support all that, where we're designing a protocol to actually um, actually uh, facilitate different key management scenarios, such as um, assigning assigning multiple owners to a crypto asset, uh, having um, web of trust so a network of people kind of the the crypto version of your friend list that you can rely on in case you lose access to your um crypto asset and and so on so so those are the two kind of fronts but what does that w- actually
0: mean what do you mean that, that that are you talking about having a wet network of uh, friends
1: who would have your key um yes, or am i missing more am more i missing something so, so, yeah, what, what we're working on is um, a multi-sig wallet that essentially the first first admin rights are granted only to you with redundancy of devices. So imagine that you can initiate transactions from your phone, your um, computer, um, a, a secure key uh, in the form of hardware. So the, there's a whole other aspect to it. Um, And then these are things that basically you can use. You're the sole owner. You're the um, kind of master owner, right? But um, in case you need to, in case one of those pieces have been stolen, lost, corrupted, so you should also have the ability to revoke access, um, edit permissions, say add new, uh, new device. Those are all things that you can execute by yourself. But with decentralized technologies, uh, there is is the catastrophic event of losing access to all of your keys, and then you don't have the ability to call um, a trusted party and reset your access. So to do that, we're designing a web of trust. Web of trust is indeed this uh, social network that, he, that is capable of um, helping you regain access but they don't have exactly the same rights as having your
0: assets but that's uh, these are people who are in the tenzorum network
1: yeah those are those are people who are in your network so essentially it's verified relationships so so
0: so like yeah. pe- pe- like Facebook friends
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like Facebook friends, except there is no centralized entity like Facebook that manages this list for you. It's uh, it's essentially peer to peer. I suppose one of the concepts I'm having difficulty with
0: is is a broad one, which is your proposition that we're moving towards a decentralized world, and and I'm I think a lot of us having a difficulty getting our head around what that means um, because we're so used to a centralized world where you know the, where the internet is controlled. By certain parties like Google, Facebook, and so on, where where the where it was meant to be decentralized, the internet when when uh, Tim Berners-Lee first invented the World Wide Web it was meant to be decentralized. Yeah, yeah. But in fact, of course, what's happened is it's centralized. But that's become convenient for people because we know we understand Google, we work it, it's fine. Everyone kind of gets it, and now suddenly. You and everybody else involved with blockchain and cryptocurrencies are coming along and saying, "Well, actually, no. We're moving now to decentralised, and it's very difficult to, for everyone to get our head around that." I mean, are you able yeah, to help? Uh... Are you able to help us understand what that means and how? How you? What sort of role are you going to play in that?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question, and I think it's very important to keep having those discussions so that people understand why. Why do we even care about? moving to a decentralized web, or, or at least uh, making a lot of the elements of our lives decentralized, even if not all. Um, the thing is that, as you said, when the when the first web was presented, it was very much decentralized as well. There was not so much structure. It was very emerging and obviously not so efficient as well. And then um, kind of the Silicon Valley culture, um, Grab this new emerging technology just like any any new emerging technology. It's uh, very often that silicon valley um is very good at um Perfecting business models around new technologies. So then came all those centralized players like google facebook, etc um, but then like we We started seeing that um When you give so much power to those kind of entities and like just imagine if Google is down today, right? Like it's not it's not just like a a local municipality electricity that is down. It's suddenly like uh, control over like huge number of people countries that all of their operation is running through that and Central like centralized systems are naturally efficient when they're running but so as a dictatorship could be an efficient system and decentralized systems are basically coming and saying all right we've gone a bit too far here and we are willing to uh, do a little bit of trade off at first for efficiency if we are capable of uh, gaining uh, more self sovereignty if you wish and if we if we are also um, going to design the user experience such that we can um overcome those efficiency problems then we can empower more people uh in new economic systems that are much more equitable much more um like disparity could potentially be much smaller and so on and so forth so so this is the rationale behind uh, the motivation of um, people that are working on designing the new and decentralized web
0: I think a, a big part of what you're doing and what you're talking about is the term self-sovereign and it just occurs to me that um, you know a lot of people either don't have the technical ability or really don't want to be self-sovereign. I mean, uh, is that right? I mean, what, what do you say to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, in general, you need to cater to the mainstream people and not not everyone is going to be able to be a power nerd that... Interacts with the newest tech that has been the case forever Just like not everyone were capable of building their own car then not everyone were capable of hosting their own um, Email service, so that's that's why we are really happy to rely on central parties, but uh, the more tools are available to be self-sovereign even if we are relying on each other in a peer-to-peer network you're not actually um, you know, independent in the bush, off grid and stuff. It's more about relying on each other and distributing that trust instead of centralizing that trust. Um, and it's true, most people don't feel the urge to be self sovereign. Um, but the benefits of uh, being self sovereign. Is that potentially you can as I as I mentioned you can give more equal opportunities to people and reduce the disparity and um, and uh, There's a lot of education there to be made because of course like at first if you're not interested in that if you're not thinking that um, That uh, there is any advantages to that you don't need to worry, right? (laughs) Well (laughs) No,
0: indeed. Well, uh, um, uh, I mean, it occurs to me that, uh, that, <coughs> that outfits like yours, in a sense, become the centralization tools for the decentralized economy. Y- you are, I mean, y- you will facilitate some sort of centralization, won't you?
1: Right, right. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's also a really good, good point you're mentioning because um, we're beginning to see this reintroduction of centralization with blockchains now. So, uh, obviously, the first blockchain that was introduced was uh, Bitcoin blockchain. And it has been, um, it has been kind of um, just demonstrating how we can have peer-to-peer electronic cash system. Then uh, those concepts got extended with smart contract compute platform where you have peer-to-peer um, computing network with Ethereum and, and several other um, networks. And then now one of the things is that if we actually want to make those technologies accessible uh, we have certain number of players that are trying to capture the um, the junctions for how to actually interface to those technologies and those are becoming kind of uh, central central parties that are routing all of the transactions and stuff like that right yeah. Um, but but the way I see it with Tensorum, particularly, we're very conscious about our, our intention in, in the system design here is not to become this, uh, all right, you have to rely on us as TenZorum. Of course, you need to rely on the network, but Tensorum network per se, the mission is to facilitate peer-to-peer access. So it's not so much about you have to go through some TenZorum uh, company, Tensorum central server, and this is the only way that you can interact. this is not the ethos behind it right so you'll just help people
0: use it. I mean the, the thing about I suppose the thing about blockchain is that it does facilitate peer-to-peer um, transactions of various <clears throat> various kinds it can uh, it can do and obviously a lot of a lot of large companies are now sort of experimenting and trying to use the blockchain for their own purposes so yes. are, are you kind of trying to set up an alternative allow people to To use your network and your your platform uh, to avoid the big companies that are um, that are trying to that are using blockchain.
1: Is that what you're doing? So yeah, more or less. Like at first, we're intentionally addressing uh, consumers, even though um, even though um, it's um, supposedly you know smaller actors compared to large corporates and like our back background and experience has been actually in enterprise previously. Um, Here, what we believe is that at first you need to give people um, the ability to manage their own things in a seamless and easy way. Um, And by that, basically onboard the um, the next 100 million people, say, and give them the ability to use those blockchain technologies. And the corporates, they will kind of be fine because they they are working on their own proof of concept, their own use cases, and you don't need to worry about them so much. But if we don't address right now the needs of the public, then it would be very difficult to afterwards pick it up where all the, all the like bigger organization are already providing those um, centralized services around blockchain.
0: So I take it what you're building is a business? Uh,
1: actually what we're building is an open source open source platform and it's um, not quite a business in that sense, in it's more developing the technology as a not-for-profit for a start and Essentially, like uh, the idea is similar to how the Linux Foundation has been built. Um, you, can, you can use the protocol, you can use the code, fork it if you want, even for commercial purposes. But it's uh, a little bit different in the sense that with, with blockchain technologies, it's the first time in history where we can design um, self-sustaining public utility. So if before that we have to have someone else picking the bill, here you can introduce um, a reward mechanism and a way to basically um, have this network running by uh, introducing its own independent economy. So this is quite a, a new thing to humanity, I would say, the, the concept of crypto economics. Yeah, but you know, according
0: to your website, there's you know there's ten members of your team. There's you and yeah. your co-founder Moritz Nito. Uh, yeah. And uh, ten others now, you all have to pay your rent and and buy some dinner at night, and so on. I mean, how are you going to live?
1: Oh yeah, that's that's a good one, yeah, of course. So the idea here is not to uh, not to completely volunteer, although uh, we have started it as volunteers. Um the idea here is that we're definitely raising funds for uh, for the project, and the project is going to employ a core team. Like currently we're transitioning actually from, Those like community contributors to a full time core team, um, primarily based in Sydney, actually, uh, but have contributors from India, from research institutes, uh, Brazil, Israel, Europe, China. Um, Of course, the idea is that the organization definitely is um, going to pay people to develop the protocol, particularly until it's becoming self-sustained. Right now, it's very, very early stage. So just because it's not for profit does not mean that uh, people cannot uh, live with dignity, receive uh, salaries while working on the project. So how will it make money? Yeah, so Tensorum is not uh, about making money per se. Uh, We are currently raising funds to, uh, to build it. But basically, there will be like Tensorum will have its own economy, right, with its own associated token and um, incentive and disincentive uh, mechanisms in place. So in a, sim- a similar way to how Bitcoin or Ethereum works, um, Bitcoin is not a company, right? And Ethereum is not a company. They're not there to um, sell you a service and make money off of it.
0: Right. right. So you're not going to Tensorum is not going to take a percentage
1: or make a clip. Uh... No, no. If if there will be um, a clip and there is actually for the uh, for the staking mechanism for web of trust, then it's to be um, to be earned by relayer network and by web of trust themselves. So basically, participation in the network is what um, incurs cost and um attracts reward as well so who is not that uh, yeah
0: who is giving you money uh
1: for the project you mean yeah Where where are you getting the money from yeah so we're we're working with um crypto vcs and um and uh we had our seed seed funding done just recently um basically those who fund the project, they see the value of um, the economic system that we are building, and they basically want to um, get a portion of the um, future tokens to be able to benefit from it. It's it's similar to, um, yeah, as I mentioned, like Bitcoin or Ethereum in that sense, um, but the way to think about it is imagine if you would have um, Amazon and you would have um, tokenized access to their APIs. So as an investor, you would see the value in getting access to the services that the network gives you. And you would definitely want to get a hold of as much um, as much uh, tokens as you can that you know that the service is going to be valuable for for many organizations and individuals.
0: Well, it should be very interesting. We'll uh, keep in touch. Thank you very much for talking to us, Daniel.
1: Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. That
0: was Daniel Barr, co-founder of TenZorum. And now it's time for this week's CryptoWatch Market Wrap with market commentator Saeed Sadawi.
2: This week, Line Corporation of Japan, famous for its popular messaging app, Line, with over 700 million global users, announced this week plans to open a cryptocurrency exchange. Named Bitbox, Line plans to launch with over 30 cryptocurrencies globally as soon as this month, with the exception of operations within Japan and the United States. Arguably the largest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance, has continued its global expansion this week, opening up a crypto-to-fiat pair exchange in Uganda. Allowing users to trade directly with the Uganda Shilling, Binance's expansion is said to be the product of assisting cryptocurrency trading in smaller, underbanked nations. The largest on-ramp to cryptocurrency, Coinbase, has launched its latest project, titled Coinbase Custody. Announced in November of last year, Coinbase custody is geared toward institutional hedge funds and other large-scale clients depositing a minimum of US $10 million. The custodial branch of Coinbase has already reportedly amassed a client base of over 10 users. This week, Facebook has also reversed its crypto ad ban effective immediately. Contributing to the recent downturn, Facebook's decision to ban cryptocurrency ads saw the company face large-scale community scrutiny. While still denying ICO advertising, Facebook has resumed other forms of cryptocurrency advertising. The Securities and Exchange Commission or SEC this week has opened the door to a potential Bitcoin ETF market, potentially the next major catalyst for the next bull run. This week, the SEC lowered the ETF market's barriers to entry, potentially paving the way for a Bitcoin or related cryptocurrency to enter the massive US $3.4 trillion ETF market. Finally, concern over recent months around cryptocurrency algorithms remaining ASIC-resistant has continued to cause industry concern. Important due to the innate centralization risks they pose, ASICs or application-specific integrated circuits have increased in sophistication largely due to major R&D efforts by major industry players such as Bitmain. This has led to cryptocurrencies such as Ethereum who opted not to hard fork their hashing algorithms no longer classified as ASIC-resistant. In comparison, the privacy-centered cryptocurrency Monero announced they'd fork their hashing algorithm by yearly to ensure in the interests of decentralization they remain ASIC resistant. Now onto the market wrap-up. Benefiting from some much-needed capital injection this week, while still remaining in a bear trend, the market has sustained a lovely all-round bounce. Overall market cap is up a solid US $20 million, or 8.2%, a nice change from the constant drawbacks we've become accustomed to. With Bitcoin dominance down approximately 1% to around 41% this week, major alts have seen much of the benefit from the added capital. For example, the popular altcoin self-key has seen a whopping 180% run over the course of the last week alone. Majors Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash and Ripple have like the rest of the market seen a nice bounce up on average 7.69%. While still a long ways to go before we even consider a reversal is in progress. A sentiment momentarily shifts, such market performance is a refreshing change from the consistent drawbacks we've seen. Bitcoin has benefited from a nice 6.7% rebound this week to a price of US 66.50. Likely influenced by the overwhelming positive news from the institutional sector, this week Bitcoin market cap has risen to the tune of US 10 million dollars to a total of US 114 billion. And that's all for the weekly wrap-up guys, I'm Sayed Sadawi and I'll see you next time.
0: Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. Our theme music was written and recorded by Broke for free.